Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right, welcome to this week's episode. Matt, how are you doing this lovely afternoon? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Justin? I'm doing great. Had uh, another wonderful Father's Day uh, last week, so that was exciting. Got our new baby boy. Uh, took him to his first baseball game, actually, six months old, and got to see Toronto whoop up on some Astros, which, you know, it was a bittersweet. <laughs> well, I hope you could be Canadian and enjoy that, but as a <laughs> lifelong Astros fan myself, it's usually frustrating to see Tyler White take the mound. <laughs> noted, noted. I'm sure you're not the only one out there. But uh, either way, it was a good experience. And our daughter, she uh, got to pig out on some treats and my wife enjoyed it as well. So an overall good Father's Day. I can't complain. Yeah, well, you deserved it. You doubled up this year. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, one of the things I'd like to talk about is uh, is commodities. And that's something that we deal with, especially you know in the drilling fluids world. We deal with a number of different commodities. They come from all over the world, um, their costs and, and just the way they're transported, uh, you know, it's, it takes a lot of effort and a good team of people to manage it properly. Uh, so I thought we could touch on that because I think that term gets thrown around, you know, especially in the field uh, and throughout the office, but uh, a lot of people probably don't quite understand it. So let's go ahead and start with uh, defining it, Matt. What would you consider to be a commodity? So, I mean, commodities are are in essence, something that simply is, I guess, available anywhere is, is the definition. So think about it. It's sodium chloride. It's bayrite. It's some of these additives that, at least in the, the drilling fluids realm, are mined. They're, 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 they're typically, well, they are unfinished products. Um, and in essence, because of that, their price is going to be more or less the same excluding shipping cost, anywhere. So oil is a commodity, obviously. Right. Um, but one thing we see with oil is if something happens in the Persian Gulf and the price of oil goes up here, even though our, the cost of producing our oil over here hasn't changed, right? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, <clears throat> so you touched on a few of them. I think what would be the most common commodity in, in, in drilling fluids would be barite and gel, would you say? Uh, yes, bayrite and bentonite are are very common. Um, there can be others that are a little bit processed, like starches, um, are are a pretty common commodity. Uh, something that's fairly easy to make. There's an established market for it. Um, and a lot of these, bear in mind, the oil field isn't the only consumer. Ah, that makes sense. <clears throat> so, uh, with regards to commodities, they come from all over the world, right? Definitely. Um, and some of that involves sourcing. A lot of it can be driven by the cost of manufacturing. Um, and of course, where something's physically located, right? So mm -hmm. there's a lot of raw materials that come out of Australia, for example, or China, um, because their territory happens to be sitting on a lot of it. So they're happy to sell some to other people. Sure. So right now, uh, a common term that's been talked about, especially within, uh, you know, the Trump organization and the government in general, uh, geopolitics, everything is tariffs. So how do the zap play into how 
uh, you know, our costs are affected with regards to commodities? There's actually a few different ways. There's, there's the first upfront component, right? And that is there's a 30% tariff on something, and it means that it's going to be taxed at 30% of whatever price you were going to pay, and now it costs more. Um, but like the price of oil, for example, when the price goes up one place and you've got a few other limited number of suppliers elsewhere, they're also going to charge more now. So the, the price has gone up and affected everybody everywhere. So you may, for example, get Bayrite out of China that's subject to tariffs. And now the Bayrite you are buying out of India, the price went up as well. Mm. So they're kind of capitalizing on the fact that China is seeing it. So then India would then say, hey, well, why don't we increase the price to way where we can make better margin on it kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the going market rate. Sure. Um, and the transportation component gets even more complicated uh, because it depends on what sort of trading partners you have. Mm. Um, you know, the term backhaul is something that, that comes up. Uh, so um, we sell a lot of soybeans to the Chinese, for example, right? So you load up a boat and you send it west and it gets emptied out. And then there are certain things that can easily go in that boat. For example, Bayrite. And then that boat goes back to the U.S. That shipping's really cheap because they're just trying to get it back so they can fill the boat with more soybeans, which is what it's, you know, good at shipping. It's designed for it. Yeah. Um, so we can ship the Bayrite on the backhaul of that route for, for relatively cheap. Gotcha. But if there's tariffs on our soybeans and now we're not sending as many soybeans to China and China decides to buy their soybeans to, from Argentina, then the boat routes change. Uh, right? Which then affect our cost, obviously. Exactly. So, I mean, I, my understanding is we haven't seen this as much, but it, it's just something to keep in the back of your mind when you try and understand it's, it's not just the cost of the product. It's the cost of moving it around can change if other goods move differently as well. Sure. Would you say, I mean, more than half of a commodity's price is driven by logistics? Or like, is there, I mean, I know each product probably changes depending on where you're getting it from the world, but a lot of that cost is, is just making up for getting it into the U.S., isn't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, if, if you think about it, um, there's, there's obviously the, the transportation is, is so important. Because if I could buy it in Mexico and truck it across, that's, you know, got a very positive effect on my shipping costs. And I'm buying the exact same thing, right? It's a commodity. It's highly replicated. Right. Easy to source. If I'm buying it from somewhere else, it's going to need to be cheaper or competitive, including the price of shipping. Because at the end of the day, when it arrives on my location, I don't care where it came from. I care that it's the product that I bought. Right. So that kind of brings up another question. And I've had people ask me this is, well, why not get it from the closest source? I mean, like Mexico, for instance, just using that as an example. Well, we'd love to. Um, you know, do they have the quantity and quality that we need? Right. Uh, are, we, are we the only people trying to do that? Um, you know, there, there's only so much that can be produced in certain areas. Uh, sometimes that takes relationships and takes time. Um, but obviously, in, in commodities, if you're trying to run a business that involves any form of commodity, you want to lower your costs as much as possible. Um, I mean, that's true under any case, but here you're, you're paying a market rate. And whatever you can do to lower that and get closer to 
below market that you can when all your competitors pretty much have to pay the same thing. Um, you want to do that, right? Of course. <clears throat> so what about green laws and things like water and bunker fuel? So this is a big one tying into both transportation and access. Uh, so I think we all know that water is becoming a more, or clean water is becoming a more scarce commodity. Um, and thankfully, one thing that we know is that uh, some of these countries that were probably not as clean in producing uh, some of these materials, particularly mining elements, uh, they've got to be more careful in their water usage. Um, and they've got to be more careful um, on pollution in general, which increases their production cost, which before they weren't regulated and they were doing it below what it would have cost to produce here because of the regulations we have. Now we have a more level playing ground, but everybody's costs go up. Mm. Um, and so it's just an, water in particular is, is an interesting one, but air pollution, other things um, are more and more com- coming to be factors. Um, and it's not just in the United States and Europe, it's in developing countries that look around and say, well, we're concerned our, about our environment as well. And we're going to come up with a mature regulatory system to respect the environment as well. Okay. And then um, the bunker fuel one's a, a, a bit more interesting just because it goes back to that transportation note you made. Okay. So, wh- I mean, for those who don't understand, what is bunker fuel? So, bunker fuel is what's used to power a lot of transportation vessels, uh, in particular, big, you know, shipping vessels. Um, and bunker fuel is really, really nasty. It's kind of like, the tank bottoms off of oil production. Okay. Um, it's basically something that is very, very dirty that will burn. And, and it's cheap probably. And it's very cheap and it is a huge source of pollution. Mm-hmm. So the international maritime organization passed a law. Well, I don't know if it's technically a law, but it is a regulation that everybody needs to follow um, where they have to move away from bunker fuel to low sulfur diesel, uh, which is a huge transition. Okay. Um, and there's kind of two questions. I, I think this goes into effect in 2020. One is, can are, are these ships even going to be capable of burning it that these vessels all over the world uh, in such a short period of time? And the other part of it is, a lot of the oils they were getting for fuels in these remote locations they were picking up or dropping off commodities to, um, those refineries aren't even capable of producing the fuel these ships are going to need. Oh, wow. So a lot of people don't really know what the impact is going to be yet um, because it's just kind of a, we really need to do this. It's important for the environment. It's important for air quality. And yet nobody, at, at least the impression I've got from everything I've read, nobody seems to be planning ahead they're kind of waiting for it to happen yeah so that's a pretty huge um pretty huge factor that may not may not have been calculated for just yet on either increased cost transport or a bunch of vessels being non-compliant and getting pulled out of the market Jeez, um, that, that could play a huge impact do you think uh i mean depending on how we react uh that could definitely slow down our ability to receive product, right? I mean, there, I think there's a chance of it, but I think, you know, bear in mind this affects everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I, will probably happen, and this is just me speculating, right? All this stuff 
you know, I, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, but it, it could be impactful. It could be that people file for extensions. I don't even know if there's a mechanism for that yet, okay. but, um, I don't think we're just going to shut down the world economy because a couple of boats can't get gas. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I I do hope that they'll find their way into compliance because this is, I've read about bunker fuel for years is this horrible thing that why is nobody addressing it? And I think they finally decided to, and it just kind of is a little bit uh, that needs to be taken in. Mm. Um, So hopefully, hopefully that's not a a huge factor. Right. but it's it's a topic of conversation people have when it comes to commodities and transportation. And companies all over the world, including ourselves, are obviously preparing for this because it's going to be something we need to key in on. And and maybe after 2020, we can touch on this again and see what the outcome was and circle back to see if your crystal ball was right. Sure. The crystal <laughs> ball I don't have. For yeah. all clarity. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, Matt, we're obviously always looking for new sources and, and new ways to... Uh, to find product that may be more cost effective for us as a company or just in general for people that source commodities. But what are some of the things we really need to focus in on uh, with regards to finding new products that we may not be familiar with, you know, either dealing with a new country or dealing with, uh, you know, different mines or different ways of, of, of of getting the product uh, to the U S what would you say is really important that we need to focus on? I mean, I think quality and relationships come to mind right away. And, and, you know, quality control is is tricky because let's say you're opening up a new mine or a new facility, um, and it may be in a place where there's not a culture for that. Um, you know, so there's fortunately API standards. Um, some of them aren't overwhelmingly specific, but they help with quality control testing. Um, and so part of it is testing to check that the mine or the manufacturer is okay. And then doing follow-up to make sure that you don't get a boatload of something that isn't what you thought you were buying. Right. Um, But that can be a pretty big deal, especially as people are aggressively trying to open up new avenues when transportation and politics and some of these other things start to come together. Um, And so I, I think that's that's a big thing where you see some of the, some of the buyers are actually building relationships with uh, prospective sellers saying, Hey, this is how you need to run your plant so that I can buy this from you. Right. Yeah. Almost, you know, partnering up with different, uh, with, with different companies to, to build those opportunities. Uh, I think I could see that going a long ways Uh, with regards to sourcing products, you know, like we talked about, they come from all over the world. What are some of the major commodities that come out of the U S are there any? Well, yes. Um, you know, well, let's just think about a couple that we see all the time. Okay. Lime. Um, how many bags of Austin white lime have you, have you cut in your career? Right. Yeah. A few probably. Sure. Um, calcium chloride, actually, there are bayrite mines in Nevada. Um, there's, I'm trying to think of a few others, you know, calcium carbonate, a lot of that stuff you can get ground to size here. Mm-hmm. Um, Wyoming bentonite? Definitely. Yeah. That's the name, right? Right. Yeah. Wild Ben. I'm sure a lot of the <clears throat> mud folks out there are familiar with that as well. So that's, you know, yeah. Cause I'm sure some people out there say, you know, why do we have to go all over the world for this stuff if we have it in our back pocket? But just nature of the beast is, you know, we don't have, you know, 
the United States has a lot to offer, but sometimes it doesn't have everything. So we have to source it from all over the world. Right. Well, and, and bear in mind that uh, what we're also pretty good at is is processing those commodities into something more valuable. Uh, so it may be that we're shopping the commodity raw material, but then we manufacture the emulsifier here. Um, there, there's a lot of those circumstances where we shop the global market, get a good price, and turn it into something of greater value than just what we're throwing in the mud. Right. Um, and so we control the equipment that, you know, offers that. We control the technology that provides those modifications. Very cool. Well, uh, for all the listeners out there, hopefully you learned a little bit today on uh, something a little bit less technical, but just as valuable in the drilling fluid world. And uh, if you really would like to support the show, please subscribe and do us a huge favor and leave a review. Uh, it can be on whatever platform you're listening to, or simply send us a message on LinkedIn and uh, just tell us how we're doing. And if you have any good stories or thoughts on anything, um, and if you have any drilling fluid related questions, please send them to flowlinepodcast at aesfluids.com. We'll also put the link in the show notes. Thanks again, everyone. Matt, have a good one. You too. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.